So this morning, we're going to open God's word um, to Acts 16, verses 11 through 34. And I would invite you to turn there with me. So, setting sail for Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to a woman, spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet into the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This is God's holy word. So we're following Paul and Silas 
and their companions were following Paul on his second major missions journey uh, throughout the Greco-Roman world. And it's, it's important to see this passage in particular uh, people like John Stott and Tim Keller, uh, pastors and, and scholars, others, have said it's important to take a look at Acts chapter 16 as a whole. Uh, if you can, read it as a whole unit and take it in as one story. Uh, and the reason that's important is because Luke, the, the young church historian, the physician, who's taking us through the book of Acts to see how the Holy Spirit of God gave birth to Christianity and the church, Luke is illustrating in Acts chapter 16 that Christianity is not homogeneous, meaning that Christianity does not simply attract and entice and receive the same type of people from the same types of backgrounds who have gone through the same experiences, speak the same languages, and share the same culture. Christianity doesn't work that way. Uh, if you think it does, it it really never has, not from the very beginning. And this is an illustration of it right here because what we're going to see today is that the same gospel of grace transforms very different types of people. We're going to see how the God, God's grace confronts a businesswoman and a slave girl and a law enforcement professional. Now, first, we're going to take a look at Lydia. Because Paul and his companions, uh, they come over the sea to, to Macedonia, which is northern Greece. And they come upon uh, the Roman colony, a little city of Philippi, and, and they meet Lydia. Lydia is a successful businesswoman. She's a seller of purple goods, Luke tells us. Now, there, there's a dye uh, that people in Asia Minor, near Thyatira, where she's from, they specialized in a dye to make clothing and garments and materials purple. Uh, for wealthy people. So this is a lucrative business, uh, and, and she's a respected businesswoman. She's, she's not from Philippi. Right? She's, she's from Asia Minor, but she's living and doing business in northern Greece. Luke also tells us that Lydia was a worshiper of God, so she's probably a Gentile who had attached herself uh, to uh, Judaism. Uh, she, she knows the God of Israel. She worships in some way, the God of Israel, the God of the Old Testament. Now, Paul and Silas found a group of women. Lydia was amongst them by the riverside in Philippi. This probably means there wasn't a synagogue. You needed 10 Jewish men to constitute a quorum for an ancient synagogue, according to the old rabbis. So the fact that a bunch of women were meeting by the river to pray and to worship probably meant there, wasn't a, there, there weren't enough Jews in Philippi to constitute a synagogue. Uh, but but quite, quite often, uh, Jewish worshipers would go to a body of water for ceremonial cleansing. So Paul and Silas knew where to look, even though they were in a synagogue. They went out of the city, and they went to the river, and there were a bunch of women. And amongst them was, was this woman, Lydia. And what we're told by Luke is that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. Lydia was primed. She, already, she was already introduced to the God of the Bible. And she knew the Old Testament Torah. And she understood the monotheistic religion of the Jews. And she was ready. 
She was ready to hear what Paul had to say. Paul's typical approach when he talked to a Jewish audience was to show them from the scriptures, from the Old Testament, how Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ, was the Messiah. It's probably what she heard Paul say. And she was won over by the presentation. She was convinced by Paul's reasonable argument from the scriptures, as some of you were when you first heard about Jesus. Now, there's the slave girl as well in Philippi. And uh, this young girl is the victim of oppression, and, and she's duly oppressed. She's oppressed spiritually and psychologically by a demon, uh, Luke tells us. So, so there's an internal oppression, but there's also an external one. She's being socially and economically oppressed by her owners. Apparently, the di- demonic activity made her a fortune teller, uh, which made, made money for those who owned her. And they were exploiting her and they were taking advantage of her. So she's oppressed internally, psychologically and spiritually. And she's being oppressed externally, socially and uh, socially uh, and economically. And what she says, uh, Luke tells us that now this Luke tells us this was going on for days and days. She was following Paul and Silas and their companions. And when Paul would speak, wherever Paul was and whatever he was doing, this woman was there shouting out because the the demons knew, knew exactly who Paul was. She was saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing it. And, you know, every time Paul was speaking, or she'd pop out of a basket, or she'd come, you know, she'd like come around a corner, or shout from a window, or from a rooftop. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And it's Paul is ignoring it for a while. For whatever reasons, he's trying to disassociate himself. He's finally had enough. The woman has exasperated him. You know what I'm talking about? Every time you're trying to do something, that that same person is there saying the same thing. So Paul, in his frustration, this is ironic, Paul, in his frustration, blesses her. He says in the name of Jesus to come out of her, and the demon left, Luke says. It's kind of humorous. I I have a sense of humor, and I just see humor in this. Paul has finally had enough, and the demon leaves. And the woman has changed profoundly. Now, Luke doesn't say that the girl believed in the way that Lydia heard the message and believed and became a Christian, we don't know the details about the girl. But what we do know is that she was profoundly changed by an interaction with the grace of God in the ministry of Paul and Silas. Changed so much that her owners realized they could no longer exploit her. The grace of God had such an impact on the girl's life That she was unexploitable. And the owners didn't like that. Remember I said a few weeks ago. That when Paul would go to a new new village. A new town. uh, The gospel of Christianity. Became a threat to the establishment culture. Whether it was the religious establishment. Of the Jews in power. Or whether it was the, the political establishment. Of the Gentiles. Or the economic establishment. Of the Gentiles. And that's what you have here. The gospel caused a couple of people. To lose money. And because of that, uh, you you have this big brouhaha, rigmarole, and and Paul and Silas are ultimately dragged before the magistrates and and beaten and put in prison uh, because the gospel challenged the authority structure of the city. Um, So 
So this woman who was a slave is in a way, a profound way, liberated from oppression and injustice as maybe some of you were when you came into contact with the grace of God. Now you have this jailer, right? Because now Paul and Silas are, they're entrusted to the, the local jailer who puts them in the inner prison. The jailer is a man of honor serving his country. And jailers were off, in that society, jailers were often retired military people. As a Roman colony, uh, Philippi was populated with many Roman citizens, also populated with many veterans, Roman uh, military veterans. It's possible that this guy was one of them. He's a man of honor, and uh, he's woken in the middle of the night by a tremendous earthquake. So he's shaken by an earthquake, and he wakes up to realize, uh, potentially, he doesn't really know that everybody's still in the prison, but he wakes up, he realizes that he thinks everybody has escaped, that his, that his, that his prison is in chaos, and he is going to lose his life because the sentence for losing your prisoners would have been death. And so as a man of honor, he's ready to fall on his own sword until Paul shouts out and stops him because apparently the prisoners were still there, including Paul and Silas. Now, here's a man who's awakened by an, like an act of God, an earthquake, which the ancients would have, would have believed was of divine origin. And so now, now the earthquake gets his attention. And the fact that he has lost control of his prison really gets his attention. He's a man of honor, and he's a family man, we find out. And he's scared to death of what's going to happen to him. And so... He's a profoundly shaken and afraid man. And what Luke tells us is, is he falls at the feet of Paul and Silas and he asks them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Scholars believe he, he probably didn't exactly know what he was asking them. Uh, was it, Luke doesn't make it specific. Was, was he literally saying, oh, tell me what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Um, he was, what did he know about the slave girl and what she was ranting on about day after day? Maybe the whole town had heard. We just don't know. What we know is that he was, he was a man in urgent need. He was shaken, uh, profoundly and he didn't know what to do. And he, and he asked these missionaries, what do I do? How can I be saved? And their response was believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you and your household. Now, Paul and Silas's approach with the jailer was very different than with Lydia. They were very direct. They were concise and right to the point because his situation was urgent. His life possibly was in danger. So the man responds with simple faith because of his great need. And he was moved by the power of God. As some of us were. When we first believed. So you have three very different people, a businesswoman, a slave girl, and a military professional. And they meet the same grace. They're impacted by the same gospel brought to them by the same two guys, Paul and Silas. Different ways, right? Very different people approach differently with the same the same message of grace by the same saving God. Lydia was persuaded, the slave girl was delivered, and the jailer was humbled. Lydia was persuaded by Paul's reasoning, 
The slave girl was delivered from oppression and the jailer was humbled by the power of God. Now with these three people, Paul and Silas planted a church in Philippi. And Christianity took hold on the continent of Europe. Three very different people. John Stott, talking about this passage, said that um, he, he recalled how the head of a Jewish household in, the ancient, in ancient times might use the prayer every morning, giving thanks that God had not made him a Gentile uh, or a woman or a slave. And John Stott said here, here were representatives of these three despised categories, redeemed and united in Christ. So God's grace confronts very different people. Uh, but God's grace instructs those who are Christians to make themselves available to anyone. I remember uh, a guy, an older pastor, who, who mentored me from time to time. Who basically said, ministry, Christian ministry is just, in a way, showing up. Just showing up and being available to God as he's working amongst people. Just in faith, showing up and being will, be willing to be used by God. Um, and and I, I don't think that just applies to pastors. I, I think that applies to anybody who wants to follow Christ and wants God to use her, wants God to use him in a meaningful way. Sometimes the Christian life, is, as far as service and ministry, it's just showing up. It's saying, God, here I am. Use me. Keep my eyes and ears open. What do you want me to do? In many ways, we, we see Paul and Silas just showing up in Philippi. They didn't even plan on going there. But the Lord led them there, as we saw from last week's passage. Who in our community is spiritually hungry like Lydia? And is ready to hear a compelling message and a beautiful worldview. Who in our, uh, you know, and I, I pray for the people like that among us that, that God would direct us to them and, um, and give us persuasive words, you know, uh, persuasive presentations and arguments uh, for the God of the Bible and for the Christian worldview because they're ready to hear it. But who in our community? is oppressed, like the slave woman. Who's oppressed? Who is suffering from injustice right now in your community? Who in some way is helpless and being exploited? May God allow us to pray that we would have open eyes to the streams um, and to the webs of injustice in our county, in our world, and especially right where we live. Uh, who is oppressed and feeling helpless uh, that they have to sell drugs uh, or they, they have to give up their body um, or their self-control uh, because they feel they have no other way. Um, who are those people? What are the streams and webs of injustice right here where we live and where we worship? And how might we pray for people who cannot help themselves? And what might we be able to do strategically as people?
Now, I know, uh, you know, there's been an age-long debate, and I know different Christians uh, feel strongly about how justice works within Christianity and and that justice should be um, carried out by the church. Uh, Some people feel, well, no, justice should be carried out by the nation, uh, by the civil government, and Christians can participate in justice uh, through the civil government. That... This passage is not for that argument. That's a conversation for another day. But I think everybody can agree when you read the Bible that when the people of God show up to be will to be used by God as he works. The gospel and the grace and the power of God confront injustice. It happens. It just happens as God's people. Are willing to be used by him. Now, who in our community not only is spiritually hungry and not only uh, may be oppressed or exploited, but who in our community is urgently desperate for a sign, for a sign of the power of God, uh, because they are so urgent and uh, they're scared, like the jailer. Uh, I pray that God would put each of us in the very place, even if it's a prison cell, that God would put us in the very place with the very words to speak to somebody in need so that they would be changed and humbled by the power of God and brought to new life. Now, I want to ask you a question. Lydia, the slave girl, and the Philippian jailer, who are they? If you met them today, who would they be? And where would you find them? In our society, in our culture today, who are they? Where are they? What do you think? Oh, your hand wasn't up? Rats. Some of them are shopping at Kohl's or Walmart. Okay, who are they? Yeah. They're living in that park over by City Hall. Yeah, we worshipped, we had that summer worship uh, on the 5th, 4th of July, I guess, um, out in the park, and we met a lot of homeless people. Yeah, yeah. Had, had, had lunch with them, played wiffle ball, but yeah, they're there. Yeah. I'm sorry, I lost the last. Sometimes these people are our own family members. Yeah. Yeah. Victims of human trafficking. Baltimore is a major center for human trafficking. Yeah, where people are exploited. Yeah. Yeah. Your neighbor said to you, I don't get human suffering, something we should talk about. Wow, so somebody ready to hear from you. Look at that. So your coworkers are, are struggling, or, or some of these people are your coworkers. Okay, right next to you. The market, you'll find Lydia in the marketplace. You may find Lydia in business class on, on your next flight. Yeah, she may be sitting right next to you. Ready to hear, yeah. Orphans and foster children, yes, in many ways are victims. Yep, absolutely. Lions Club or the Chamber of Commerce. 
the Lions Club or the Chamber of Commerce. You may find people right there. Yeah, so, so, and you're bringing up a point that some of us made. Some of us are related to folks who fit these descriptions. Some of us are involved in, in community organizations where we meet people and they're actually dealing with these situations. I feel like there was another hand, yeah. Elderly. Shut-ins, elderly, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and there was even just in the Carroll County Times a month ago, uh, there was an article about how um, a, a small number of people are responsible for a large percentage of the heroin overdoses in our county, and they're right here in the community in, w uh, in which we are worshiping. And there, there's a whole power structure of exploitation right there with people who use and people who sell and people who provide. Yeah. Uh, let's do uh, two more. And right where Bob ministers, right in our local detention center. He's, you probably see this regularly. Yeah. It would be neat to have conversations with you about that. And right here. Broken fam people and broken families. Yeah. Um, uh, conflict in the family, divorce, uh, um, family conflict has a way of really placing tremendous burdens on people. Yeah, well, thank you, for, um, thank you for your thoughts. I really think that we limit our reach and we limit um, our message to fewer people than God intends. Sometimes we, we reserve our friendship. We reserve our service. We reserve our witness um, and our boldness uh, to to people who are the least awkward to deal with, uh, to people who are the least offensive to us, right? The, the, people, the people who are the least scary to deal with, they're the people we want to spend time with because it's, it's, it's safer. When I go on prayer walks downtown, it, 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 sometimes I get scared. I say, that guy wants to hurt me. He looks like he wants to hurt me. I am not going to walk up to him. I'll keep going. Um, sometimes we just want to serve and help people who are like us, who think like us, uh, because it, you know, we don't want to deal with arguments and, and we don't want to deal with threats to our own security and to our reputation. Um, but notice how Paul and Silas were greatly inconvenienced and beaten and imprisoned in order for these very three different people to be reached by the grace of God. You know, if, if Paul and Silas' plans to stay in Asia Minor had succeeded, they would have never found Lydia in Philippi. If Paul had not gotten distracted and exasperated by the slave girl, she would have never been delivered from that oppression. And if they hadn't been imprisoned and beaten, the jailer and his family would have never discovered the grace of God. If you're a Christian, I want you to consider that it is through your adversity that you will reach other people with how God has blessed you. If you are not a Christian, or if you're you have your doubts about Jesus or about God. You, you feel like you're on the outside looking in at him. You feel like he's let you down. And, and you're not ready to trust 
in the Jesus of the Bible. I want you to consider that your own adversity may be the very way that God is trying to reach you. You look at your adversity and say, God isn't real. Well, consider looking at your adversity as proof and evidence that God is reaching out to you to show you that you need something beyond yourself. Though we may limit ourselves, God does not limit himself. He does not place limitations on his message and his grace as he dispenses it throughout the world, through his people. Paul would later say in his letter to the Roman church, that God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, with Jesus, graciously give us all things? The New Testament shows us that, that God is a giving God. He's not stingy. He's not tight. He's not intimidated. He's not arrogant. He doesn't say, I won't go by those group of people. I won't talk to that type of person. No, he sends his servants out to everybody. He is, he is recklessly generous as he dispenses his grace. And isn't that, isn't that what the gospel of Christianity, the good news is all about? That Jesus, that Jesus greatly inconvenienced himself to reach people? That, that Jesus departed from his own glory? That, uh, that he, he suffered, that he was imprisoned, that, he, went, that was, he was taken one step further. He wasn't released from prison. He was executed. And, and that, that's, see, Paul knew that if God could reach Paul, that if God was willing to hang on a Roman cross for Paul, that God could reach anybody. Because Paul knew where he had come from. And what a wreck and a wretch and, and, and a terrible guy he was. I think that's why Paul and Silas were singing in the prison cell. Luke tells us everybody heard it in the prison. Heard them singing hymns and praying while they were in chains. I think they were singing in that cell while they were, while they were imprisoned. Because they knew what the Lord Jesus had endured for them. And so they could endure anything for the sake of their Lord Jesus. Joy in your adversity, because you may not have joy in your adversity. Joy in your adversity comes from knowing that God has given you his grace. That, that's, that's how you get through adversity without giving up on God. Because Jesus gave everything up for you. And now you can sing songs in your soul's darkest night. Like Paul and Silas did. And the prisoners were listening. And the jailer was listening. And they were changed. I think that's why very different people are going to notice something about you that tells them all about God's grace. And that, that seems to be the constant in Acts chapter 16. As Paul and Silas meet very different types of people, what seems to stay the same is the grace of God. And what seems to stay the same are Paul's inconveniences and adversities. That's the constant. The grace of God, <laughs> the suffering of his people. And many different people come to faith as a result of it. So we see that the same gospel, the same grace, the same God, ministered to and talked about by the same people, it reaches very different types. 
So God can save anyone, friends, even through your ministry. And God could even save you if you have doubted that. Let's pray. Father, we confess that it's hard to come out of our comfort zones. And and sometimes when we do explode out of our comfort zone, it's because we're already angry or frustrated or selfish. Um, Father, it's, it's, it's it's hard to make sacrifices for people who are different than us. And, and Father, I thank you for the faithfulness of Luke to record these events, these chronological events that give us a picture of, of how your word and, and your gospel took root in the world. Father, we pray that it would take root in us and we pray that it would take root in Westminster and in Carroll County. In Jesus' name, amen.